0: This is episode 23 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. We're continuing Men's Roundup 2006. Choose this day, who will you serve? This is session three with Dr. Charles Cooper. It is certainly easy to surmise one standing in the kingdom when you consider that While some have uh, stage managers and bookers and drivers, others have nothing. I contemplate why you seriously want to listen to me, and of all of that. <laughs> In all seriousness, I um, recognize fully the, the awesomeness of, of wonderful talent. It's, it's such a wonderful thing to be blessed with talent and to see it used for God. Amen. Amen. That's just, uh, just, just brilliant. Mark, you're marvelous. I get the... Uh...
1: One cannot but
0: appreciate the, um, the submission of one's life to the will of God and the beauty of that in terms of its outworking. I have been wonderfully blessed this weekend to be here. The last time I was here, Phil Kage was here and um, on the DVD that you sent me there was some of his uh, music on there and I've listened to that many times since I was here and uh, as I've listened to some of the uh, material that I did here, as I said in my study working on this and all the things that I do, um, I listen to music. And um, it's often in the context of listening to music that I am able to formulate how I'm going to say something. Uh, the craftsman of words often is inspired by other craftsmen and um, even as I was working on the material praying for God's wisdom uh, and that I would look into your faces, I was praying that God would somehow bring together a host of events that would make this day complete and as I listened to Mark, whom I've never met, nor have I uh, heard his name connected with his face Um, I'm sure I've heard him on Z88 my radio station because I listen to it all the time and as he sang his songs they formulated for me part of my agenda. Sarah that is busy, come back in a little while honey week's worth of work to squeeze into a weekend, darling, you'll have to understand. Ten minutes later, she went back into the living room, Daddy, let me show you my picture. The heat went up around my collar, Sarah, I said, come back later, this is important. Three minutes later, she stormed into the living room, got three inches from my nose, and barked with all the power of a five-year-old monster. Do you want to see it, or don't you? No, I told her. I don't. And with that, she zoomed out of the room and left me alone. Somehow, being alone at that moment wasn't as satisfying as I thought it would be. I felt like a jerk I went to the front door and I called Sarah could you come back inside a a minute please daddy would like to see your picture she obliged with no recriminations popped up on my lap and it was a great picture she'd even given it a title across the top in her best printing she had inscribed our family best tell me about it I said here's mommy a stick figure with long yellow curly hair here is me standing by mommy with a smiley face and here is our dog Katie and here is Missy her little sister with was a stick figure laying in the street in front of the house about three times bigger than anybody else it was a pretty good insight into how she saw our family. I said I love you honey and I told her I'll hang it on the dining room wall each night when I come home from work and from class I'm going to look at it. She took me at my word, beamed from ear to ear, went outside to play. I went back to my books. As I was doing my work there was something about that picture that bothered me it was not until a few moments when I realized that I had read the same paragraph three times that I concluded that there was no need for me to continue working until I derived why I was not in the picture. (laughs) I called her, Sarah, would you come back please? Honey, I noticed in your picture that you didn't have daddy. Why? To which she replied, you are at the library. That's why. Because that's where I hung out. And in her mind she had grown accustomed that daddy was always in the library. Didn't have time for the picture. It's very much a reality, men, that we are educators. Some of us do it unconsciously. We're not aware of just how much of an impact we are having in the lives of our children. Even our absence is a teachable moment. How then do we move away from the destructive behavior often exemplified in our unconscious efforts if you're going to break the cycle and become a dad of repute it will be because at some point you make a choice that you're going to be a conscious active teacher in your children's lives. I completed an assignment of life uh, about two years ago which turned me loose to decide what I wanted to do now. I have wanted to go back into the classroom. I taught college for seven years and I wanted to teach in high school but I was not convinced that I could work in the system and so I decided that I would be a substitute teacher (laughs) and last year I spent about 90 days substituting in the Orange County public school system middle school and high school It was very educational. (laughs) I particularly became known as the substitute who would take the classes that were extremely difficult to manage. They have labels for these classes, exceptional learning abilities, they have children who are in varying degrees of mental um, incapableness, classes which many would not take. In one class that I substituted in, it was a class of kids who were mentally handicapped, profoundly so. There were about seven in the class. They could not get substitutes for it because no one wanted to be around these children. There were those, of course, who had a constant drool that had to be cleaned. There were those who wore diapers. There were those who Um, had varying mental um, incapacities that resulted in all kinds of things that made most, that will make most adults very uncomfortable. And so they they could never get anyone to volunteer and so I saw it on the assignment and so I took it. I showed up and of course everyone is astounded that I'm there. Wanting to know did you know what kind of class this was? Yes, I did. And you still signed up? Yes, I did. I spent the whole day either wiping, drooling kids or helping change diapers or the varying things you do for these children. I became very much aware that many of these children, the reason the public school system now handles these types of children is because parents simply don't want to be bothered and the public schools have become a substituting daycare for many of these children and because it's more or less babysitting many of them have no learning capacity the day is spent simply trying to figure out what are we going to do for seven hours? Repetitive day after day. And My, inf- my intent is not to be harsh, uh, but to a great degree, men most of us treat our children as if they were that category of child we basically relegated them to mama you take care of them I'm often impressed by how many men never changed a diaper recently in the home of a man who Had it as one of his plaques in life. He had five children and he never changed one diaper, to which he was very proud. If you count up the days, five children would figure out, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 300 diapers per child. Five children at 300 diapers per child is about 1,500 diaper changes on the low end. (laughs) And you're telling me, Daddy, that you never changed one type that's almost like assigning your children to a VE class varying exceptions for someone else to daycare your child all day we just push him aside and then we say at what age are we going to re-enter his life when he's six when he's eight and how long will you have him from age eight till about thirteen and then he suddenly starts going off into his own world so you've got about what five years maybe that you're going to relation in this little life and then he's gone most of us wake up when it's too late only to realize that we lost that boy and we wonder what happened what happened is that you are not an active teacher in the lives of your children because most of the time you just didn't have the time I want to introduce you to two boys. In the book of Matthew, chapter 21, we're going to meet some varying exceptions. That's the category of child in public schools that are hard to manage. Here we got two boys. They certainly would be in that class. Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. We have a father with two boys. Verse 28 says, but what do you think Jesus is talking? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. He answered, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? This is very interesting that Jesus would set up this scenario. You got one boy, when asked to go work blatantly, rudely, retorted i will not to which he did not find himself getting up off of the floor or having a massive recovery he obviously wasn't black he would have been toothless (laughs) that kind of blatant outrageous rejection and rebellion there is absolute absence of any attempt to excuse such disobedience in the story that Jesus tells he simply says the boy refused and He later metomelamide. He regretted, he repented, he felt sorry, and he went. The second boy, upon being asked to work, said, in the Greek, I serve. In your Bible, it probably says, I will, sir, but actually it simply says, I, ergo, sir, I will. And proceeded to not go. Polite and respectful liar. (laughs) And go. disobedience followed by obedience in one son and promised obedience followed by disobedience in the other how did the father end up producing those two boys what did he do well the first thing we we have to do is appreciate the context this is a story that jesus is telling and his sovereign Knowledge, perhaps, looked through the eons of human uh, history and found two boys who were, in fact, probably like this. So, the story is probably true, but without commentary. The Lord chose it for a reason. And to appreciate this story in the fullest, we have to get some context why is Jesus telling this story in the first place well you have to back up a little bit to verse 23 of chapter 21 says when he that is Jesus entered the temple the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from, what is its source, from heaven or from men? They began to reason among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he's going to want to know why we didn't believe it. If we say for men, these folk going to get mad in the end and then start acting a fool. That's kind of a rough paraphrase. <laughs> and verse 27 says, And they answered, and they said, We do not know. He said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, it, it would appear that Jesus said, Checkmate you didn't tell me I'm not telling you And that's really not what happened because what the Lord subsequently does is that he answers their question but indirectly and his first attempt to get them to understand and to deduce it themselves is to tell this story of a father who had two sons one a liar and the other a regretted a regrettable obedience he says two boys one promised to go and didn't one promised he wouldn't go and did to which he asks the question in verse 31 notice in your bible which of the two did the will of his father They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you that the tax collector and the prostitute will get into the kingdom of God before you. Boy, that's an impressive statement, isn't it? I can just imagine all the preachers looking up at that. (laughs) Verse 32, for John came to you in the way of a righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, and you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe. And what Jesus is saying, he said, Now, now if, you, if you have any intelligence at all, you should be able to get this. Man I had two sons. He asked the first boy to go, and the boy said, I am not going, and later did. Second son, he said, go, he says, I will and didn't. He's a liar. Which son did the will of the father? The first. Now, neither boy is looking all that well at this point. Both of them are not A plus children. But... One did subsequently obey. Jesus is attempting to answer their question by showing them that you judge the son by his work. Their question to Jesus was, by whose authority are you doing what you do? Jesus said, judge the son by his work. The way you know whose authority the boy is acting under is to watch his work. If you want to know what kind of son you have produced, look at his work. If you want to know by whom I do what I do, look at my works, for my works In and of themselves, loudly declare by whose authority I operate in. To which, if he was a brilliant thinker, he should have said, Now, let's look at what this fellow has done. The other day, he raised a man from the dead, he fed 5,000 men, plus women and children now who can do that (laughs) in all the annals of history and time the only person with that kind of authority is God Himself and if this Jesus can do that then that He can only be operating in the authority of God. For no one else can do these things but God. In other words, the work of the son testifies to the authority of that boy. That's Jesus' point. In other words, you shouldn't have to ask. The works themselves should tell you that, hey Dad, uncle, brother? what is your kid's worth telling you? Are they paying attention? But you look at your son, 14, 15- year- old boy. 20-year-old boy, 25-year-old boy, the things that he is doing, what are they telling you about him? If you have been an active teacher, actively involved in his life, and imputing and impugning into him, then you should be easily able to discern from whence cometh his work. Dave Dravecki, in his book, Like Fathers Like Sons, relates uh, the following facts. Have you noticed how many of today's baseball players have fathers who also play in the big leagues? take Ken Griffey junior he writes the only son ever to play with his father Ken Griffey senior in a major league game the Griffey's were inserted into Seattle Mariners lineup on August 31st 1990 thus becoming the first father and son teammate combination in major league history it was a mind-boggling accomplishment at the time there were more than 30 major leaguers who had a father-son possibility in the majors now when you consider the fact that only one out of every 25,000 have an opportunity to play in the majors and then realize that one out of every 25 players in the majors has a son in the majors it becomes quite impressive Ken Griffey junior of course Roberto and Sandy Alamar and their father, Sandy Alomar, Sr., Barry Bonds and his father, Bobby Bonds, Mosse Alou and his father, Felipe, Eduardo Perez and his son, Tony Perez, Todd Stottlemyre and his father, Mel, Todd Hudley and his father, Randy, Brett and Aaron Boone and their father, uh, Bob Boone. To which he then begins to ponder, so what can we attribute so many father son combinations? Answer, a gene pool populated by 300 hitters and winning pitchers. <laughs> These sons are in the game because their bodies were blessed with a piece of their fathers talent. Think about it. These fathers couldn't spend much spare time with their kids while they were playing Major League Baseball nearly eight months a year. Besides, more than half of that time was spent on the road when you include spring training. Sure, these kids got to hang around Major League clubhouses and soak in some of the atmosphere of the show, but they are where they are today through inherited talent and a willingness to work hard. It certainly helps to have a famous father to imitate, but brothers, it's down to the genes. Down to the genes, I would agree. You're going to notice the work of your sons, it's going to be because there is something that you have imputed into them, something that you have taught them. Now, I know most of you come tonight. You want a method. Well, Give me the method and I'll go home and I'm going to apply it to my son. You want me to give you a cookie cutter program that you can go and implement your kids in and everything works out fine and you lay down one of these days and die with a smile on your face. Sorry. Both of you guys lived for years with the VCR blinking 12 o'clock. They just totally gave up on you and put an automatic clock in and had to discern it itself, because that thing had become nothing but a blinking neon light in the middle of the night. Keep you from thumping your toe. in reality guys it really doesn't matter what you how simplistic you make the program you still wouldn't do it I know that if I give you a cookie cutter program you probably will start it but it will soon stop because ladies and gentlemen ladies in absence we grow weary in well-doing. Do you remember the question that Jesus was asked earlier why didn't Jesus just answer their question directly? And why, why would he go through all of this gyrations for two chapters about sons? Son this, son didn't do this, son didn't do that. Because he wanted them to work for it. Because if you can't get it indirectly, you won't get it directly and you won't appreciate it either. If I ask you, what's the one key lesson your boy has learned from you, you would probably tell me something totally contradictory to what he would say. Because most fathers are oblivious to what their children really think about them. I take a really simplistic approach to most things. Because I have figured it out that that is the only way that you really can get a mass of people to do anything. Keep it simple. Life is so busy, there is so much to do. At best, you're only going to have a few really good teachable moments with your children. In the hustle and the bustle, and the working and the running and the playing and the pulling and the pushing of life, men, You don't have time. Few of you have the resources in life where you can sit back and not have to worry about rushing out in the morning and rushing home in the evening and rushing out in the morning and rushing home. Most of you are working eight-hour jobs, two hours getting there and getting back, and the other hours you're just trying to get somewhere and sit down because you're wore out and tired. And I want you to become master teachers of your children. Yeah, it's not gonna happen now maybe you're saying to me well you just don't have any faith in us you're right <laughs> I know primarily because it doesn't take all of that turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 let me give you the lesson the nutshell boys You know this chapter well because in it is the famous one-liner of God how to raise children. Deuteronomy chapter 6 beginning at verse 1. Now this is the commandment. Notice, mark that in your Bible. This is the commandment, single. The statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it. So that you and your sons and your grandsons may fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. There's your tradition. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. What is that? What is that? That verse? Uh-huh. 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 It's a great commandment. Love God. everything you got that is all you need to teach your children that's it gentlemen if you teach your boy to love God with everything he's got everything else is taken care of keep it simple teach him to be passionate about God to the same degree that he is about video games <laughs> Teach him to love God to the same degree that he loves surfing the internet late at night in the darkness of his own room Teach him to love God to the same degree that he loves, hanging out with his boys, talking in quiet voices so you can't hear the conversation. Teaching to love God to the same degree that he loved that first girl that said he was nice. (laughs) To love God. Gentlemen, the reason we are failing is because we're not teaching our boys, our girls, to love God. We love the rules, but rules are not love. We're teaching them good principles, statutes, and commands, which God says needs to be done. But you only obey rules out of a commitment to love. And when you only have rules with no love, rules become burdens. And they will be quickly cast aside. The reason we're failing as fathers is not because we're not teaching statutes and ordinances. Is because we ourselves do not love God I was in uh, Uzbekistan actually I was in Kazakhstan because my visa was denied to go into Uzbekistan they wouldn't let me in and I had about 200 people wanting to be taught the Word of God in who were Uzbeks and Tajiks but the Uzbekistan government says no deal And so we went to Kazakhstan down near the border of Uzbekistan and the Uzbeks and the Tajiks came over into Kazakhstan for five days of Bible teaching the leader of the group, who is an Uzbek, was put in prison and kept there for two months because of his leadership of the church in Uzbekistan. They came across, and we spent five days in God's Word. They begin to relate their stories of being in prison and all of the problem that they have. In Uzbekistan Islamic. They don't want church and they don't want Jesus. And that week, as we talked, as I discussed, and I wanted to give them these nice little ideas I had and this and that. Finally, got down to the point where they got to talk. And you tell me. What's the most important thing you need to know to survive back in Uzbekistan? And of course, they all speak in Uzbek. I can't understand a word they're saying. And they're talking, and in in themselves, They're, they're talking among themselves. And then finally, they all concluded. On the one thing that they all could agree on that they believed was the one thing that they needed more than anything else in order to survive under the persecution and the hostility in Uzbekistan and so the translator is seated next seated next to me and as the leader Sergei begins to talk she begins to translate and she says we need to know how to love God. Not how to make more money, not how to figure out how not to be persecuted, how not to figure out how to stay out, how to love God. Last week, I got an email from Sergei. His wife was Russian. And in order for them to get rid of Sergei, who was the leader of these 200 believers in Uzbekistan, in order to get rid of him, who he is in Uzbek, they deported his wife. And by deporting his wife, he obviously had to go with his wife. In their passport, they stamp, Undesirable. Which means he can never go back to Uzbekistan, and he can't go to any other commonwealth of independent states because he is undesirable. So in my email, Sergey, what can I do for you? Do you need money? No. Do you need a contact? No. Where are you staying in a one room apartment in Moscow with 10 other people? What are you going to do? We don't know. What do you want to do? We got to figure out how to sneak back in. Now you crazy? Huh? Because we figured out how to love God. You love God by keeping His commandments. I want to ask you, night men, do you love God? Have you figured out how to communicate to your kids, dads, that you? unequivocally, unambiguously, undeniably love God. My daughter, seven years old, from the very first that she could understand, we taught her sign language. If you want your kids to be smart, at about 18 months start teaching them sign language. Kids are not stupid. They just haven't figured out how to tell you what they want you to know at 18 months. So, as soon as she was almost able to sit up and look, I started teaching her milk. Milk. Listen, I told her, I said, now listen, don't be laying in here in your bed screaming to the top of your voice. If you want milk, tell me. Milk. So she figured out when she was hungry, this means I'm going to (laughs) eat. 18 months old, she could do this. We taught her what stop means. Stop. Stop. So I'd have to run to saying, no, don't, no. matter of fact, one time we were sitting in church, she was about 19 months old, and she was cutting up around that, and I just kind of leaned over and said, never said a word. She knew exactly what it meant. From the very first that she could understand, I started teaching her one thing. Who loves you? Right now if you get on the phone and call my house and ask for Carly Cooper, my daughter, and ask her, Carly, who loves you? She's going to say this. God does. My daddy does. And my mommy does. That's all I want her to know. God loves you, and he loves you more than I do. After you ask her who loves you, then you ask her, how much does your daddy love you? And she will say, in a million thousand pieces. And then I will ask her, who loves you the most? And she will say, my daddy. My father. Now, most of you are sitting there thinking, ah, oh, isn't that nice? My daughter has never called me father. Father. I don't allow it. She has only one father, and he is in heaven. I'm your dad, but your father is in heaven, and he loves you to pieces. I love you in a million thousand pieces, but He loves you to pieces. Men, if you want to save your children, make them believe you love them, that God loves them the most, and they will love Him. About six months ago my daughter come to me seven years old and said, Daddy, I'm ready to be baptized. I never asked her. A month ago we baptized her. The reason she wanted to be baptized is because she believes in Jesus, that he died for her on the cross, and that he loves her more than anything in his whole wide world, and she wants to live her life for him. Seven years old. It didn't happen by accident. It happened because from day one, that was my goal. Men, if you want to love God and you want the kids to love God, you're going to have to teach them. You're going to have to show them. The greatest absence in the church today is love for God. More than the flesh, more than fame, more than fortune. love for God. Put you by your heads tonight? Unfortunately, we live in a world that doesn't make much sense of love. We sing about it. we write about it. We try to figure out how to define it but unfortunately we still seem to be ignorant of love when I ask you tonight do you love God I mean to love him to the point that you would be willing to go with Sergei back to Uzbekistan Would you be willing to sneak back across a border where you know they have put you out and said that you were undesirable and if you go back there is not a single solitary person in this whole wide world that can help you except Jesus. Would you be willing to go back? When you say I love God it means that I love him more than my own life. I love him more than comfort. I love him more than being at ease. I love him more than having all that this world can afford. When you say, I love God, it means I love him to the point that he can do with me whatever he wants. You want to undo the Malachi condition and ensure that traditions are passed on, you gotta make some lovers of your children. You say, Well, I don't know if I can help them to love God, because I don't know whether I really love him to that point. Young people, I want to ask you tonight, you young 14, 15, 16 year old guys, you come to this camp. You didn't you just came, your dad made you come. I know. You're sitting here with a bunch of old fogies and figuring out what in the world is going on. You've already come up with 18 ideas how to make this thing better for children if they'd only let you try. But I want to ask you tonight, is it possible that you could love something so deeply, so intimately, so outrageously that you would abandon everything that you hold dear? God is worth that investment. I want to tonight, if you would be willing to say to me, you know, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want something that is worth living for, that's even worth dying for. I want to tonight, are you willing to say I'm willing to invest in the greatest challenge of your life? I believe Jesus is worth that. Maybe you came, this is your first time to be at this men's roundup, and you came, someone invited you, and you just decided, okay, I'll go. But having gotten here, you realize that there's something missing in your life. I want to suggest to you that what it is is a personal relationship with Almighty God. Or maybe you came here so broken and so ruined and so in pieces you don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You don't know who to talk to. You don't know nothing other than the fact that you're miserable and you're looking for a way out. I'm going to ask you to do something tonight that may challenge you, might even frighten you a little bit. I'm going to ask you to get up out of that seat wherever you are and come forward. Someone's going to meet you and say to you, you know what, I can help you see through God's Word a better way. Some of you fathers who came with sons who may be a little frightened and uneasy about exposing themselves to a crowd, by coming forward, may have to get up and come with him. Perhaps you may need to come together and bow in prayer to confess the sin of inattention and inattentiveness, Father, with a boy that you have not given your hold to. It's time to make the change if you'll only be tonight. and by doing so you'll be able to join with the rest of us when we sang that great chorus earlier it is well with my soul for I can only tell you that if I died tonight it is well I don't want an emotional response I want a sober reasoned Spirit-moved response. Not to impress. It's between you and God. If you're a father and you have not been faithful to the task of teaching your children to love God, then tonight you need to repent. For you are not in compliance with the great commandment love the Lord your God (coughs) if there's ever gonna be a difference it's going to be because you do it tonight it can be the first night of the rest of your life there are people in this room counselors men who who are more than happy to come forward and stand here and meet you they will pray with you they will work with you they will help you to understand and they're going to move as you move Father in the name of Jesus I pray that you would move in this place in power and majesty in ways that only you can that the fear and the anxiety and the mistrust that may plague the heart Will be removed. I know it's been a long day. I know you've had a lot to do, but I don't want to rob God of an opportunity to operate in somebody's life who needs the hope and joy of Christ. Would you come? If you're seated in this place and you recognize a need for God that only he can feel, then I want you to come. That means getting up out of that seat wherever you are, coming down forward, finding one of these men who are going to be here, waiting to show you how to understand fully and deeply the challenge of Jesus Christ if you need someone to pray with you to help you make it over the hump to finally begin to set the road course straight up out of the seat down the aisle toward the front whether you're in the back outside the canopy wherever you are this moment is for you come Come. A one, a couple, a somebody's. Whatever your state is, we're waiting for you.